You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To learn more about the Collective Church in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, visit us online at thecollectivechurch.com. This, this building six years ago was for sale. It was for sale for $3.2, $3.3 million. And I believe in having faith, but the spirit of stupid is not on me. So we walked into the space. You, you understand what I'm saying? $3.2 million. We, we were a brand new church. And we were like, I, and, and our, our agent at the time was amazing. So he, he, he said, let's just, let's set up a meeting with the owner. Let's see what happens. I was like, cool, I'm down with that. See, it's again, it's a matter of taking a, are you understand? This may be story time, but I want you to understand a little bit of a mindset of stepping out in faith. So he said, you know, I have no idea what God's going to do. Let's just do it. Let's have the meeting. And, and so Pastor Ben and myself and um, the owner, the CFO, a bunch of uh, numbers dudes and at this facility. Um, sometimes you also, if you know the ending of the story, you have no idea at the beginning what it took. Um, where's my son at? And, uh, I was like, I asked my son, what my, what my favorite movie is. Some of you know my favorite movie is The Pursuit of Happiness. So I love that because it's just all the, all the things that they went through and we see the ending, we know the ending, but the thing they went through is just, it's amazing. So we decided, hey, let's set up a meeting. So um, our, our um, agent got us a meeting with the owner of the building and we start off the building meeting. What did I just say? I, said, I didn't use meeting, but I said to building. We knew it. it was kind of a, it was meeting and building together, building. Um, we set up a meeting with the, the owner of the building and, um, we started off by saying, hey, here's the deal. I, I, we're not going to buy your building. So that was a great way to start the meeting. I felt like I, I feel like the best way in, in an opportunity sometimes just start off with the truth. I'm going to be truthful. I'm not going to buy your building for $3.2 million. But here's what I feel like God is calling us to do. And so Pastor Ben and I started sharing what we felt like this region needed. And, and we need more of the collective. But I'm just saying that this is what we felt called to do. We, we shared with our vision. As I, and, I, and I told him this. I say, I will not leverage God's money just for a building. So, so we're not looking to, to have an astronaut. But realize that this amount of square footage in any other space would be astronomical. So I say, I, I have no idea. So we had this meeting. Even the CFO, who's not a believer, who calls the shots in regards to finances. Well, the, the, the president of the, of, of uh, vigilant said, um, well, it's funny. You guys are telling me what your vision is. A God, uh, God called me several years ago to be a church planner in Bellingham, Washington. So I know what it's like as far as, I mean, think it's just so lucky how God just, I'm shocking. So, um, so he, Derek, who's an amazing man. He's the only, he's the third generation owner of the space. Um, said, I, I, I feel like something's, uh, something's going on here. And, and, um, I, I, let's, let's, maybe we can draft up some numbers. So Pastor Ben was like, fantastic. We threw it out there and we'll see if they can grasp a hold of it. And they next day send us off a proposal and we got the proposal and was like thinking, I'm, I'm glad I didn't speak first. Cause I was like, cause they got the proposal. It was the numbers that were just too good to be true. It's like, we'll, we'll run this, spend this amount of money on lease and, um, and it's gross. So in other words, it, it includes electricity and power and all these different things. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I bet the electricity and power of what we use on a monthly basis would be the rent rate of, of what they were 
Chargers, I was like, man, this is an absolute God thing. Well, the problem is I remember sitting, seeing Brant. Brant was standing over there kind of by J-Lo and Lonnie over there by the stairs. And he was like looking around saying, how is this going to work? Because this used to be a law library. And there was like a wall, a ghetto wall right in the middle here. And there was like cubicles and it was, it was, it was just had funny little things. It was just really wasn't, some of you don't, do you have any of the pictures, Joel, of the, of the way the space we, I think we used to have pictures in there. I'm saying this to, to, to lead into why we're doing what we're doing. We were standing there and here's what I'm saying. This is because what we saw from that time is having a stage where we had people all around us up above on the second floor and downstairs in this Holy ghost party every Sunday. That's what we saw. So we're standing there and we saw windows being out and people worshiping up here. There's right behind this curtain, there's windows up here as well. So we saw people. um, So we saw that from the beginning, but we just needed the space. So what we did, when we got this space, we had to jump through some hoops from the, um, from the mafia, I mean, government and, and, um, and so a bunch of things that we had to do and grinding concrete floors and ripping up carpet and all and beautifying this, this, this space, which was, which was a, which would work in itself. Well, come and we kept on talking about, we'd love to have space. We'd love to bring our sound booth. We want more space for capacity. We want more city. We, we, um, during COVID we're thinking of, and, and during the craziness of what we have in our public schools right now, Literally, you see, <laughs> Pastor Ben has a gift. It's a gift. That um, look at Pastor and Triple B is talking. Triple B saying, "Look at how much work we have to do right now." And the carpet, the carpet that was magically glued. Well, uh, several months ago, Derek said, what, what is your, th- well, for me, the, the school has been a blessing because I think some of the ideology, some of the ideas that are, that are being, um, just penetrating our schools. Um, I'm thankful that, that principal Heather and Christy and all the team here of, of having a school, uh, having a home homeschool, I should say homeschool co-op. That's legally what we should say. Uh, I, I saw the expansion. Well, Derek said, how, how would you like to start taking, we, since COVID we're, we're, we're meeting mostly in our in our homes. We're not taking any space upstairs. What's your thought on taking on the upstairs? This wasn't, we did not instigate this. I believe God instigated this through Derek. So I feel like the upstairs is an opportunity for expansion of school. I don't know how that, do I know how that looks? No. Now, for some of you, that may be uns, um, unsettling. Realize that God's, the Holy Spirit's in charge of this church. I feel, I feel we are here not to flow what's taking place in society. I feel we are here to change society. Are you smell what I'm stepping in? I believe the church is not designed to flow with the ideologies of the world. I believe the church is designed to be a catalyst to change the ideologies of the world, to not accept it as truth, to have biblical truth that changes the atmosphere. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, I'm not going on my soapbox, but I'm just telling you. That's what, so I, I saw that as a school. We also see this as um, the original vision of having, now, right now, we don't know how this is all going to pan out when it comes to people up here because there's code things that 
we're trying not to get government necessarily in charge too much, but we see the windows out. We see people standing. Can you imagine worship here with people? Has anybody been in a theater where they have multiple tiers, the energy that comes from? I just, I see that happening. Um, we don't know how it's going to look. We know in December, in November 28th, which is the, the day after next Sunday, we are starting work on this building. So no matter what, when we come back in here January, it will look different. There's no doubt about that. We are in need of a facelift. It will look completely different. I pray that you get behind us when it comes to what you see in this space. Go back to where we were six years ago and understand it takes somebody to have a little bit of a visionary, a little bit of futuristic mindset, a little bit of faith to say, I don't know necessarily know how this is going to look, but I want to get behind it. And that's what we're getting behind in regards to generosity. Again, I'm not, we're not leveraging ourselves financially to take on more space. Is it we stepping out in faith? Absolutely. The amount of space as we take on upstairs, which is over 10,000 square feet of more space, the rent rate that we have for taking on that would have been, would have been the rent rate of just down here, triple net. So it's not, so we, we are, some of you don't understand what I'm talking about in that, but if you don't understand, it's okay. Just smile and wave. Yeah. Or look at me not like what I'm saying. Why, why? I wish, I wish, I wish Pastor Ben was not going to the bathroom. So Bob would have taken this on story time. I just, <laughs> I, I just, I, I want you to see when we have a pioneer, this, I really believe Portland, the region, we have this pioneering spirit and the day you're not pioneering is the day you feel unsettled. If, if you're not stepping out, the men will feel unsettled when all that we do on a weekly basis is just checking in, checking out, crushing Netflix at night, going to bed, not impacting lives. I want you to step out and have the mentality that this region is designed, we are designed to have the pioneering mentality to make an impact. Amen. So I really feel when we're stepping in here, I realize when you walk back in here in January, I play that some of some of us coming in here, Triple B Construction, again, the world's finest pro bono construction company in the world, will be here painting. Kelly will be here designing. Cree Construction will be crushing life. We're going to be here. I pray that you embrace it and be here as well um, because it's amazing things what take place when you have ownership, ownership in the house of God, ownership in finances, ownership in time, ownership in talent. You understand? Pastor Ben. Thank you for letting me milk time. Pastor Ben from the bathroom. Give him a hand, everybody. No, that was, that was perfect. And that was uh, ex exactly what we all needed to hear. Thank you, Bob. Um, I feel a little bit, I'm kind of a nostalgic person. So I, I feel a little bit of, uh, I, I feel like we're moving. And I had to remind myself, hey, we're coming back in five weeks. So, um, but what God has done, and even in the, this configuration, you know, and, and going back through pictures and looking and just like, God, you've done so much in the past six years. You've done, there have been so many lives that have been transformed, so many lives that have been changed, so many worship services where we're just like, you couldn't recreate that if you tried. You know what I'm saying? So um, we're just thinking. We're just thankful Two, I want to give you two practicals. Um, number one is that on the church center app, you can choose there's a drop down menu that has, it says building fund. And that is to give directly to the building. So 
like if what Pastor Bob was saying was just felt like, yes, we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of this pioneering, this like preparing the house for more people. Folks, can I tell you something? The region is up for grabs. Get that in your lexicon. Okay? Put, 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 that, put that in your vocabulary. The region is up for grabs. What does that mean? That means like it's time for us to expand. It's time for us to expand. I want um, Mary. Could you come up here? I just, I told, I told your sister about this and she's like, do you want me to tell Mary? And I said, no, let's spring it on her. Um, would you give Mary a hand as she comes? It's Mary Hall. And her and her husband, Michael, have just moved back from Tri-Cities. They were, they were in Egypt. Now they're back to the land of milk and honey. And, um, but Mary shared something on her social media this week, and then we reposted it. And I think I reposted it out of order. I think it was, anyways. But I just, I just quickly, would you just tell us your story and what, how you found the collective, and then kind of maybe an overview of like, because there's been family revival with this family. So. Thank you for springing this on me so I didn't have to be nervous ahead of time. Um, oh man, you tell someone to open up their testimony and I think I'm going to have to pull out the third grade Miss Mary Motormouth. That's what they called me. And that was turned into a false identity, but we're going to redeem that and try to go quickly through that and honor the time you give me. But okay. Um, so I, let's see. I grew up with an incredible family. They're here now and um, was adopted into the family of God at a really young age um, and loved Jesus and had a personal relationship with Jesus. But I lived like a spiritual orphan. Okay. And um, I even got to experience literal adoption. My dad over there adopted my older sister and I, and I became this little adoption advocate. I told everyone about the gift of adoption and I um, just, I knew it was a picture of the gospel. I could explain to you Romans eight, you know, where the theology, it talks about how we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption, you know, that we are sons and daughters, that we are heirs. And I could explain that to you, but I didn't live with that revelation. Right. And so I lived like a spiritual orphan. And because of that, um, this, let's see, how would I explain this? Religion kind of comes, this is the picture I have. Religion is like a cage that comes on the church and puts the sons and daughters of God in bondage, living like orphans. And then outside of the church, there's orphans in the world who don't know who they are and haven't been adopted into the family of God. And they don't want in. They do not want into our cage because on our cage is this barbed wire of fear, guilt, shame, trauma, all of it that is going to push the, the orphans in the world that need to be adopted into the family of God out because they're not going to change their version of bondage for our version of bondage, right? And so I was stuck in my little religious cage and religion was this like gift box. Here's another picture. Religion was this gift box and it was the gift box that Jesus was presented to me in. And so how could I separate my beloved savior from the confines of intellectual Christianity that he was given to me in? Does that make sense? Okay, so I... I didn't know how to separate the two. And I knew there was more and I loved Jesus, but I was bound. And religion taught me to suppress my emotions. And I was really good at it until I met my husband. <laughs> and my husband is, um, it, we just, you know, something about our relationship, I, his emotional expressions just began to trigger me. 
And all of a sudden, I couldn't be the good Christian girl that didn't have reactions. So I began to have these fight responses and we just had these explosive arguments. And I was, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, you know? And then we had two kids only a year apart. And how many people know that little children are excellent at exposing the unhealed places in our hearts? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I found myself having this like rage at my children and I'm like, what is going on here, Lord? And so I get on my knees before the Lord one day and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need breakthrough. I need you to show up for me. And he said, Mary, I am coming after your family. I'm going to restore your marriage. I'm going to restore your children. I'm going to restore your extended family. I'm going to make you ministers of reconciliation but you're spiritually blind and I need to open your eyes. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so he did that. He, the Holy Spirit just came after me. Oh my gosh. Like he began to restore my identity. He told me who I was. I was, I no longer just believed I was the sinner saved by grace. Right. He told me I was a daughter. He gave me a name. He did identity exchange before I knew it. That was a thing. Um, he came after me with my inheritance. He told me the authority that I carried. I, one day I was alone in the shower. The Holy Spirit baptized me with fire. I began to pray in heavenly language, having never heard anyone speak in tongues before. He just came after me. I began to prophesy to my family, to strangers. I didn't know what prophetic ministry was. <laughs> I had only heard of the prophetic as in times ministry, right? Um, and like the prophetic, you know, um, revelation type prophetic, not like the gift of prophecy. And so well, during this time, um, I had a lot of friends tell me I was crazy. I lost some relationships. Um, you know, I just, people didn't understand, you know, because all, everyone I was surrounded with was also struggling being an orphan and they didn't know it. And so um, I felt I was, a, I was an orphan no more. I had this identity restored. I had this inheritance restored. I had intimacy restored. The times I had with the Lord were the most incredible, tangible display of his presence. And I was addicted. I was addicted. I'm a people person. I didn't want to be with people anymore because the Holy Spirit was coming after me so hard. I just wanted to be alone in my prayer closet. But here's the thing. I knew what I had experienced individually alone with the Lord. I had to experience collectively that this was not meant to just be alone in my prayer closet. And so I cried out for community and I said, God, I'm an orphan no more, but you have to bring me community. And so in answer to my prayer for community, God had me Google the collective. And I thought that this was a ministry I was supposed to start. Okay. Because I'm a dreamer, but I had pushed all those dreams aside because women can't do all that stuff, right? All that religious jargon. And so I was dreaming again and I knew he had calls for me. So I thought I was supposed to start a ministry called The Collective and I Google it and I found y'all. And there was a drench coming up and I'm like, oh, this already exists. So there was a drench coming up and um, I, this was three years ago. And I knew I had to be in the room. So I came alone. I was a little nervous, but I was so excited. And I got just absolutely wrecked, of course, with the love of the Father. I encountered, you know, I went through freedom for the first time. I encountered prophetic ministry for the first time. So much confirmation about my identity, my calling, all of it. And I was absolutely hooked. And um, it was only a couple of weeks later, my sister, she's in kids, um, you know, she, I brought her and she was wrecked and she was the first one to like really step into her true identity. She was step in step with me this whole time. And then one after another, my whole family got wrecked with identity revelation. My husband, um, and yeah, they're here now. And it's just been incredible to see how God took people that genuinely love Jesus and just ignited them on fire with who they are. And the next level of 
You don't just love Jesus and be a nice Christian, but you actually get to go and take dominion and take your sphere of influence. I see that with my dad. He's doing that in the schools and it's phenomenal what he gets to do with these middle school kids whose head is not on straight. And they, you know, it's just phenomenal what you can do when you have identity revelation and you're an orphan no more. So now we get to serve and minister together as ministers of reconciliation, just like God promised, just like he promised. And we are orphans no longer. So praise Jesus. So good. And Mary, you, you literally, you said you went to bed and you prayed and then you woke up with the name collective, right? Yeah. Okay. Guy good. He does the best advertising. We didn't have to pay Google AdWords. We didn't have to do a Facebook post. We didn't have to, I'm telling you, that is the advertising of the Holy Spirit right there. And what she didn't know was what the Lord asked me to share on this morning was a sphere of influence. What's our sphere and revival in the family? And I'm going to have Jenny come up here in a minute. We are so far ahead of time. It's wild. I don't even know what to do with my, my, my hands right now. I don't know what's happening. Usually we're like, this is fantastic. It's amazing what happens when you start on time. Isn't it crazy? We're turning over our new leaf, friends. It's a new season. Come on, Jesus. Um, so funny how, how many times this has been referenced today. We gave these out early on. And this is the mission statement of the collective church. And it's to reach people who are lost, hurting, or disconnected from God and bridge the gap through a presence-driven church in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reach people who are lost, hurting, or disconnected from God. You know, I think Mary and her family and, and you know, Michael and, and Andrew and Natalie, um, I need to have the whole family at some point just co- kind of come up and share because what's so wild about it is that, um, actually, Andrew, uh, Andrew, why don't you just come up here and share? I'm, I'm going to like share your story just really, just really quick. I want you, there's a certain part of the story that I want you to hear. Because Mary starts to get free, then Natalie starts to get free. By the way, this guy is like so anointed for leadership, it's not even funny. So, um, so they start to get free, and and then he's like, "Well, you, I'm telling the story." Yeah. So. My background is that um, throughout my life, I've struggled with various things growing up. I kind of grew up in the religious spirit as well. And for me, I kind of struggled with this in this area of truth telling and being honest. And Satan had a had me believe that it was the absolute worst sin. I truly believed it because when I was attacked and thought, hey, I need out of this. I need to repent. He told me this lie that even if you do, no one will believe you because you're a liar. And so I, I grew up for years thinking like, hey, I have the worst sin. And um, when uh, one day I was talking with someone else and they were saying, hey, I have the worst sin too and stuff because I have pride. And that's why Satan was cast down from heaven. And then something else came up where someone was saying, you know, murders the worst sin and all of a sudden the lord started working in me saying like hey we you know this is a tactic of the enemy saying hey this 
you are the worst. So when, you know, you confess or with other people, yours is darker, your sin is darker. And we have that, like, the way I picture it, I told Ben, is like this rock in the bottom of your stomach. And it's this dark corner of something you want to die with and stuff. And, you know, the Lord bringing it up to me saying like, hey, bring that darkness, that, that pebble in your pit, just that's so heavy to bring it out and bring it to the exposing light so that you can have freedom. And so even at my work, like even the last, you know, couple of months, I've been talking with that with so many people and like the tech industry, and these are not Christians, but it's this truth here that when you bring this up and when I was praying about it, um, the Lord told me that the, cause I was thinking like, what is the worst sin? What is this? It's just something I think about. I don't know why, but he told me, um, it's the one that you're dealing with. It's the one that has the hook in your life because it's literally killing you and stuff. And so surrendering that and just opening it up was just so powerful. And he came in and he, the way I picture it, he came down and he touched my mind. And when he touched me, it was so powerful because it was you, this voice, this lying voice just was like obliterated. And it was like, I hear in this identity and you're just like, I can't hold this within me any longer. Like you say, like, you know, become free, not to celebrate in your freedom, but to free others. So am I like, am I, am I work? I just try to pour out. And then someone was like, I didn't know you could talk about Jesus at work. And I was like, I will tell you what the limit is. I will do it until I get fired. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that works and stuff. So anyways, that was just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Share the part where you're Oh, yeah. And so part of Mary's story is saying that, hey, she kind of caught fire. And a lot of us in the family, including myself, thought she was a little crazy because we had this box. We had this religious background. And now all of a sudden she's a little crazy. And my wife caught fire, too. And so (laughs) through that process, all of a sudden I had this strong reaction against Natalie, my wife, who was incredible. And I started responding very strongly. And so I would, I called her like a zealot. And I just, you know, at one point I had, like I was manifesting, like, so the the enemy was, could feel. um, um, So one thing that I had was this spirit of control. So that was kind of my root is this control. And all of a sudden my whole life, I was this A student, everyone liked me and my identity was tied up in what people saw And so, um, but that will not last. That is not grounded. And so all of a sudden I felt all these things start to unravel for me. And this unraveling was so painful and I was losing control. I felt like I was losing control of my kids, my wife, and it was just going away and it was so painful. And so my wife ended up taking the kids down to Southern Oregon and stuff. And I had this intense three day (laughs) transformation. That's what it was, is I was out for three days and I didn't eat very much. And it was just the Holy Spirit. And I was in that broken state of saying like, here, I'm here. I just want to do what is right, but I've tried my, I've tried my best and it's not good enough. And I'm, I tried so hard. And so through that is when he came in and he touched me. And when I ended up going to Southern Oregon, like three days later and stuff, it was 
my wife saw me and she's like, what happened to you? Like, you look different. Like you are a different person. And it was like, Jesus touched my mind. And it was just unbelievable and stuff. And even just going down, I remember calling my dad and just confessing all this to him and just, I was bawling. And I'm not, I'm not a naturally emotional person pre-transformation <laughs> now all the time. But when I went down there and, you know, this confession was so important and I went down there and I ended up seeing my in-laws and like, when I saw them, like, I just, I just saw them. I just poured out and we talked for hours and it was so impactful because they could tell and they brought me and I shared all this darkness. And I thought, you know, like they wouldn't want me anymore because of like what I've done. And, um, but they opened me with open arms and brought me in, brought me back to the family and it kind of spread throughout the whole family. And so I'm just here to testify like through the Holy Spirit speaking through one person in the family, which was Mary, yeah. it caught fire to the whole family and stuff. And I've heard other testimonies here where families have been transformed and stuff. And it's just so cool because that's what the Lord wants and stuff. So anyways. Thanks. Natalie, are you, you want to share anything? Natalie came out of kids to listen to her husband. No, get up here. <laughs> She's going to start talking from back there. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it at the top of the stairs. I'm just so proud of my husband, sorry. Um, um, one thing I wanted to share is that the Lord told me in the midst of the manifestations, he gave me a passage in scripture where Jonathan is um, walking through the forest after a battle and he uh, finds honey on the forest floor and he eats it. And it's actually Saul had called for a fast. And so he actually got in trouble for that. But and they noticed that Jonathan had ate the honey because his eyes were bright. And that's what God told me would happen to Andrew. He said, he's going to, you're going to see it in his eyes. And that's exactly what happened when he came down to Medford. And, um, I, there, there was a lot of reservation because of the lying. There was this lie that said, you know, you can't trust him. And so I was hesitant to meet with him, but the Lord had given me the story of David and Goliath. And, and basically it told me, you know, you're David and don't put on Saul's armor. So don't put on like a religious, I should do this. This is the way to proceed in this situation, but just do what I tell you. And the way that I, the Lord was instructing me really day by day from the scriptures with like amazing, just like speaking to me, just the, the rhema word from, from any, you know, any book in the Bible, he can do that like through the whole old Testament. Right. So I'm just getting these rhema words of like step-by-step. Step, okay. Today I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do this. Right. And so that day when he came down to Medford, he reminded me, remember I told you about the story of David and Goliath and you're David. And he had me meet with Andrew and I saw it. I saw the transformation in his eyes. His eyes were bright. He had, he had met with Jesus and it was, I'm, I'm telling you, like there is deliverance that you have to walk out. Right. But this deliverance was like, it was gone. And then after that, of course, like I'm having to walk out. Can I trust him? Can I trust him? And the Lord gave me another story from the old Testament, basically saying he's clean. 
it's all clean, it's all gone. And so I just stood on that. And our our life has never been the same and our and our kids. I'm just so grateful. So thank you. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> Man, if you're not wrecked by that, go see a doctor tomorrow. Man. In Ephesians, on scripture in Ephesians, I'm going to have Jenny come up. Here and um, we're gonna, we're going to talk really quick about just a concept that I want us that I believe that, that the Holy Spirit is asking us to grab a hold of. This is a fun. Uh, this is my favorite, by the way. My favorite. This guy, come on down. He says, um, "Well, in Ephesians chapter five, I, I like it says." But their evil intentions, verse 13, will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. And man, I just, you're all's family. It's like, awake, sleeper. You know, that's what, you know, revival, actually renewal is more for the unbeliever. Revival is actually a term that's, that's coined for the believer, it's a reviving those who are sleeping, those who are dead, those who are in the, the, the cage of religion coming back to life. That's why we talk about the great awakening being that's when souls are saved. A revival, I mean, and semantics, we can get caught up in semantics and we're not going to argue about it. We're not going to have church split, you know, over, well, I used to revival. I thought this was renewal. No, we're not going to do that. Or, this is a refreshing. No, who cares? But I am saying that there is something about revival where we're like, it's actually about believers stepping into their rightful place. And then you see a whole family changed. And I'll just tell you, like, the, just over this family, just the, the, the leadership, the, they, take things, they take things seriously. God's, God's actually redeeming some of the, the religion. Like some of the, I mean, God's redeeming that, you guys, and, and what God has in their life and you know, Natalie had to go back and teach uh, third through fifth grade. She's amazing. She's anointed. She has vision for it. Like she's serving in the house of the Lord. Like it's amazing. Um, but that's, that's what it's all about. So revival is about families coming back to life. And, and we make it really complex. And so I'm going to have Jenny share something that's going to, I really believe, kind of unmystify it and, and make it not as complex. Because when something is complex, we check out. If we don't understand, we can, we can lose focus and we can check out. And when we use platitudes, when we use you know, big, big language around, around national revival and things like that, I think there's, there's good things about that. But, but as the hearer, you have to process what's being said and you have to apply it by the help of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So, so if, it's, if it, there's a big platitude that's said like, we're... Is that me? Oh, God of mine by Rita Springer just started playing. That's really random. Serious listening to me. Okay. That's a great song. Um, so, but when something is said like that, 
I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guilty of checking out because I'm one person. I'm one person. I'm one, we're one, the Rose Five, we're just, we're one family. There's two point, what is it now? There's 2.4 million. It's 2.4 million now in, in um, the Portland Metro. So, so just in the Portland Metro alone, you know, and, and Northwest will be safe for Jesus. And even sometimes the, 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 the region is up for grabs. I'm like, whoa, region's big. And we're just the Rose Five. So that's, that's where we have to understand, and that's why the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us in ways that makes it really applicable to us so that we can say we're all a part of this. Because here's the deal, is collectively, we scatter. Now, now there's, there's some of us that connect during the week. You know, a lot of y'all, you have people you connect with during the week, but we go all through the metro, from Camby to Corbett to Vancouver to Oregon City, out to Sherwood, like we're all Hillsboro, we're all over the metro, all over the metro. And so God's placed us in, in these places, and he's saying that, that revival is not just with this, it's not just a tent, it's not just somebody on stage. So Paul says this, and I'm going to read the scripture, and, and Paul's actually talking to uh, the church at Corinth. And there, there's some people that are kind of testing his authority. Paul gets a little sassy in this chapter, and I like it. He gets a little sarcastic, and I think it's great, because I think this is what I want to do sometimes. So I was like, Paul did it, so I can do it, right? Okay, so he's, um, he says, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters, for some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak, and his speeches are worthless. Those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. You're like, what does this have to do, Ben? I want you to hear this. He says, oh, don't worry. This is the sarcasm. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. He says, we will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work that God has given us, which includes our working with you. We have a sphere. We have boundary. God has given to each a measure of faith. He's given to each gift, some 10, some 5, some 1. The stewarding of our gifts, the stewarding of the measure of faith that he's given to us, and the boundaries and the spheres God has given to us is what we are to put our hands to the plow to do. Some of us have big spheres. Some of us have family spheres. Some of our spheres include our family, our work, um, extended family, like it. Whatever measure God has entrusted to you, we take our authority and we take our place. Amen? I'm telling you, this the whole thought of revival is just going to happen. You know, by the way, revival is not a New Testament word. It's not found in, like, where's the verse about revival? It's, it's not in there. It's a, it's a New Testament concept of awakening, the sleeper awakening unto righteousness, awakening back to life. We're actually never instructed to pray for revival. Did you know that? 
We're instructed to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into revival. And you know why we pray that? Because then it, it activates us. Lord, would you send someone to help my wife with laundry? God, I just pray that you'd send someone to Heather to help her with the laundry. What that, what that prayer does is it awakens me. Are you awake this morning? That prayer awakens me. And, and that verse about the fields are ripe unto harvest, that is true of the Portland Metro, friends. That, that, you know how many, how many Mary and Michaels and Natalie and Andrews there are in this city that have had a form of godliness but denied its power? There's so many that God's wanting to awake. So then, then we pray the Lord of the harvest and then we, we get activated and we see the greatest awakening and renewal that we've ever seen in Jesus name. So Jenny, help us to understand some of the stuff that you said in Vegas and at the women's night was just like, okay, awesome. Thank you so much. So when pastor Ben's talking about the region is up for grabs. Okay. I believe that. What does that mean? It means that God wants to send us into our anointed spaces that we've been given the grace to operate in dominion. And I really care who's in office. I know most of us do. Most of us, you know, we should be praying about who's in office. We should be praying about all of it. We have to vote. That really matters. But we have been given a place of office in kingdom realms, in the kingdom of God, when you and I put our faith in Christ, we were actually given an office. We were promoted to office. Ephesians 2.6 says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's higher than the seat of a uh, president-elect. Now, you might think, Jenny, this is too ethereal. I can't grab a hold of this. I'm going to boil it down. Okay, I'm going I'm to narrow this down a little bit. But the office that you hold is the influence that God gave you over the people that are in your life. And if I really care, again, I really care who's president. I really care who's governor. I really care about our state and local officials. But what good is that if me, as a Christ follower, am not fully inside my seat of government, Okay, and we have this overarching theme we've been talking about, which is what is our what is our large what's our purpose here? What are we doing here? Are we just coming here on Sunday because that's what you do as a Christian, or what are we actually doing? Well, I think the overarching season that we're in right now is to turn America back to God. So when Pastor Ben says the region's up for grabs, what we're hearing is there's lots of people here that need a shepherd and a person to turn their heart to God not towards a religion, but towards God. So that means somehow I'm involved in this process. Somehow I am involved in the process of turning America back to God. And you might look at me and go, well, yeah, Jenny, because you have a ministry and you have pastoral responsibilities here and that kind of thing. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about turn, our, you and I turning America back to God. We have to define who is your America most days of the week, my America is six years old, seven years old, 14 years old, 18 years old, and 20 years old. I have five American citizens. And then I have this citizen, me. 
And I do have quite a bit of influence with my husband, <laughs> but we're more in a partnership in what we're talking about here, okay? What if I think that the governor that I wanted to be in office for Oregon could hold the power to cause revival or not cause revival in this state? But here's the thing, whether the governor I voted for or didn't vote for is in office, that governor's not gonna come to my house and sit with my kids and teach them concepts and kingdom principles. And here's why we're, why we're gonna say sorry is because God is molding your heart and you were made in the image of God. See, do you see what I'm saying? We have to understand that we hold so much authority inside the sphere that God has given you. And God has given you a sphere. Now, if you're really good at taking care of your family sphere, and I'm not saying perfect, I'm just saying intentional and you function in, you operate in kingdom principles, what God will do is he'll go, okay, let's do a little wider circle here. And then the circle, then you kind of have to work that out, right? Okay, now the circle gets a little wider because you have to work that out. It's called stewardship. And it's actually demonstrated in the parable of the talents. Because the ones who took their talent and buried it, God said, okay, I'm going to give all of that to somebody else. The ones who multiplied their talent, what'd they get, in re what'd they get as a reward? More what? More responsibility, which really means authority. So when we do a good job with the authority we've been given, the, 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 influence, the America, who's your America? That's really the question I'm asking you is who is your America? Is it the person that you work on projects with at work that you don't have a whole lot in common, but yet you do know that you have a little bit of influence? Are you using that influence? What I love about Andrew's testimony is he's using that influence. He's, he's pushing that influence to see how far can I turn my coworker's heart to God. Yes. So revival can be boiled down to my five children. Revival can be boiled down to the next sphere of responsibility that God gave me. It is about taking your role, taking your office. And you have been given a stamp of approval by God, if you are a father, take authority. If you're a mother, take authority. If you are in your work, let's say you have a business and you're like, oh, these employees and they never show up and they never do the, that's actually on you. You need to take authority. You need to get people together and you need to cast vision all over again. You need to set a standard again. Okay, let me, let me, let me do this. Do we have time? Yes, we have time. Okay, heard this incredible Incredible story, and then I'm going to give you another analogy, and I'll give it back to Pastor Ben. Um, this man, and this is a true story, this man had multiple successful restaurants, maybe like 20, and I think it was somewhere back east, maybe New York or something. And he has all these su successful restaurants, but then over time, they started declining. Okay, attendance, sales, all that stuff, profitability, um, hiring and firing, everything was kind of starting to to crumble, okay? And so he didn't know why. He couldn't put his finger on, is it the economy? Is it the menu? Is it, you know, you can't put your finger on stuff sometimes. So he calls in somebody that's an expert in this and he says, I want you to, I, I want you to help me understand why are my restaurants declining? And he said, okay, so sitting across the table and the mentor takes the salt shaker from the middle of the table and goes like this. And then he tells the guy, Okay, put that back. The guy goes, okay, puts it back. 
And then the mentor takes the salt shaker again and goes, he goes, okay, put that back. And he did it again, moves it this way. Okay, put it back. And he does that, and this guy's like, okay, there's like a Miyagi moment here. What, what am I supposed to be catching? What am I supposed to be catching here? And the mentor said, people are going to move your morals, your standards, your guidelines, your culture. They're going to. And when they do, you put it back. And he said, and when you get too tired, and then he said, don't get mad at them for moving it. That's what people do. They move it towards the standard they came from. They move it towards the family unit they were raised in. They move it towards the church they came from, even though they left it because they didn't like it. They still want to move your church to the way they know because it's familiar. Okay, but we set a standard that God gives us a vision for our family. Then he gives us a vision for the ministry he gave you. He gives you a vision and a standard for the business that you opened up. Okay, because it's yours. It's yours. So when people move, your children, when they lie, and you're like, oh, they're just lying. Okay, you know, it's like, you put it back. 582 times. And then the guy said this, when you are too tired to put the salt shaker back at the center at the bullseye, you're done. And you need, you need to give this business to somebody else who has the energy and the fortitude to keep the standards right in the center. And so we have had to, as a family and as a ministry and as a church, we're defining where does the salt shaker sit? What is acceptable and what's unacceptable? Right? What's outside of the bounds? Are we willing to tolerate? Are we willing to allow certain behaviors? This is what it looks like to turn America back to God. The hearts of the people that God has entrusted you with, we scoot them back to the center. And we might have to, you know, there's always the kid that you have to do it like twice with. And you're like, thank you, God, for this child that just doesn't, they just don't want to defy you. And then the other one, you're like, okay, where'd they go? Okay, where are they? I, did, I always say there's one that'll put you on your knees, you know, put good holes in your pants for the praying. We, we just made these new jeans. We had them the other night with the ladies and it says uh, tough mother right here. And the knees are all carved out. And we say that's the only place that a mom should be worn out is in her knees. But when we stand up from prayer, we've got to lead We've got to be strong. We've got to be humble for our children. And this is what it looks like to turn America back to God. And this is when we say revivals in the church. What does that mean? That means go and foster your children in God. Go turn your, your grandchildren's hearts towards God. Go help your employees understand why they're not going to cheat their way around something and they're going to go the long route to do the right thing to be blessed by God, even if they're not believers. We call it slowing down to speed up, okay? So this is what I want you to see. I want you to see a circle. And Pastor Ben, you can come back up here. There's a circle, okay? That's your sphere. And I see it pretty black and white. I see this place that we've been talking about where God's asking you to say yes. He's asking you to say yes to the space, right? Like you're the salt shaker and you're coming to the center. And you're actually now the president of your sphere of influence. That doesn't mean you're in control. It means government. It means you will put you, people in order so that they're safe under your care and under the care of God. Does that make sense to everybody? Does that settle in your spirit? Okay, so here's this circle. And what the Lord showed me was, 
Many Christians have been doing the hokey pokey. Put one foot in. Okay, wait. I don't have enough influence. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy to correct that child. I don't have enough whatever. Because the other foot's back here in doubt and unbelief. And when you straddle that line, your life will lose clarity. Your entire life will lose clarity. You will be like, wait, what am I for? What, do I really like this business? Wait, do I really like my spouse? You will lose clarity. And that's right. Pastor Janelle just said it. You will be tormented. And then you go like, okay, I don't want this. And then you're super tormented. I'm just telling you the place of peace, the place where you feel rock solid and so clear about your life is stepping all the way in where, you, where you're underqualified. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough energy. Otherwise, you'd already be in here. If you had what you needed, you'd be here. But the reason that we come un unqualified and we come without the energy and the money and all that to do what God's asked us to do is because we're going to have to rely on God. How about that? That's the whole reason for it is we have to get in here and just say, but you, God, I'm not God of the world. You're God. I'm going to sit in a place of government. I'm going to sit here, but I'm, re I am relying on you to energize me. I'm relying on you to refresh me. I'm, and so we're in Christ. We're abiding in him in this place, right? This is what the Lord showed me. He said, we cannot, and I feel really strongly about this. We cannot as a church look at unrighteous people and blame them for the transgender issues. We cannot look at unrighteous people and say, well, you've been putting crazy people in government, so there you go, you know? Because this is what God showed me. He said that the church is just this back and forth thing because I can't get over myself. Maybe I don't, maybe I, I need to start a business because I'm actually anointed in the marketplace and yet I, I question and I wonder, and, but I don't wanna go live and I don't wanna look at myself on a camera and you can't get over yourself. That's what's happening. You can't get over yourself. Meanwhile, unrighteous people are like, great, I'll take it. And they're stepping into your sphere and they're leading the, board, the school boards. They're, they're the ones stepping into office. They're the ones stepping in and parenting your children. In fact, do you know that the community says that, that educators and people in, church, in, in the education system are more qualified parents than you and I? That's what they're saying. You know why? Because they're in the space. They're, they're, trying, to see, they're trying to sit in your seat. But you know what? They have to get out of that seat if you say, I'm sitting in it. Are you leaving spaces of your life empty? Because if you are, we've abdicated our, our authority. So when the Bible says in Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 26, it says, let us make man in our image. This is God talking about how he's going to make man after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, I'm actually going to let them have dominion over the earth. It doesn't mean we own the earth, but we have dominion over it. So God showed me, he said, hey, Jenny, people get a hold of the cross. They're getting a hold of the blood. Thank God. You have to know that there's no sin on your record. You come to Jesus. He paid all sin on his body. There should be none on you. You have no right judging yourself over your sin. You're, you're, you're in the wrong business. You're, you're in his business. And you just, man, you come through the cross and you're like, I'm forgiven of the craziest, most disgusting, vile things that I've done. But I'm also allowed to forgive all the people that did those things to me. There's no judgment in my body. There's, I judge no one. Everybody's off the hook. And he said, once you get over to the other side of the cross, remember what I said, your mission is, because this was before Adam and Eve blew it. The mission was, 
Let's make them so that they can have dominion over all the earth. So once we have the revelation of the cross, and I'm not saying like the full perfect revelation, but once you get it, you're like, oh man, I'm saved by grace. This is awesome. My I'm no sin on my record. Oh wait, now what am I supposed to be doing? Culture says, religion says, go be a nice person. That's now your mission. Your mission is to be pleasant to everyone so that you can win the popular vote and that somehow because you're always nice, Jesus will look good. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, okay, now that we're back and restored in right relationship with God, take dominion. That doesn't mean a personality that acts crazy. That means your children's hearts are turned to God. That means you step into the workplace and think, I'm coming in here with authority to turn hearts back to God. Amen? Do we understand this? It boils down to something really practical. So, hallelujah. So good. So good. So good. Okay. Let's all stand this morning. Isn't God good how he just weaved all that together? So good. Pastor Jenny, that was amazing. Here's what I here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit is is speaking. So we we broke it down practically. Well, how do I practically do that? Well, number one, we, we have to be in the word of God. Our minds have to be being renewed. We, we need to be praying. Like, are you putting me in a box, Pastor? No, this is just part of the relationship. I would tell your marriage, you say, how could my marriage? I would say intimacy. I would say spending time with one another, talking with one another. We, we, we say that in every relationship. And so that, that's, just, that's just number one, is a personal relationship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But here's, here's where I felt like, and here's where I am tempted to miss it and not take advantage of my sphere, is when the Lord presents to me moments when I know that I'm supposed to take my authority. And I'll say, you know what? I'm kind of tired right now. They're in a bad mood right now. Now is not the time. Can I, can I just say something? Now is the time. Now is the time. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that revival is in moments. We're, we're breaking it down to the family unit. But listen, it's moments. It's, it's not home runs. My dad used to always tell me, he said, Ben, ministry, life, our relationship with Jesus is not about home runs. It's about base hits. There's bunts. There's stealing, metaphorically. There's, um, like, it, it, is, it is a journey. It is, and it is long. And it's over time. But listen, if we will take advantage of moments, here, here's the reality. Some of, some of our best moments of revival in our family have been just taking what God, God presented an opportunity and Heather and I just walked through it. And we didn't necessarily feel the, the rush of angels' wings. We didn't necessarily feel, you know, the, the, the light from heaven, but we knew that there was opportunity. And guess what happened when you step through opportunity? His presence comes. The grace comes. The wisdom comes. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm pastorally take advantage of moments. Revival is in the moments. Deuteronomy tells us very, very clearly. He says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. This is Deuteronomy 6, 6. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then the promise is the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give to you when he made a vow with your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It goes on and on, and it's beautiful. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. Let's let's lift our hands. Lord, I thank you that you're demystifying purpose, that you're demystifying plan, that you're demystifying, demystifying, Father. And I just, we just come against all confusion, all confusion, all sense of unworthiness. I don't belong. I'm not a part of this. I'm not a part of what God's doing in these times and season, we just take authority over those thoughts and we say, come into alignment, spirit, come into alignment with what God's doing on planet earth right now. And we have a part and we have a sphere. We have families. We have friends, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're widowed, you have a sphere. You have a family that God has entrusted to you. So Lord, we want to be good stewards of the moments that you give us this week. God, I thank you for this week. I thank you for Thanksgiving. I thank you, God, for for moments, Lord. I thank you for the presence of God being around tables and in living rooms and in kitchens, Father, in Jesus' name. I thank you for the moments that will present themselves And we just pray that we would be built up and we would be prepared, Father, to take advantage of moments that you give us, Father, of moments that you give us. And we thank you for our America. We thank you for for the people that you've placed in our sphere, Father God. We love you. We thank you, God, for the, the testimony that was shared this morning. And Lord, I just pray that there would be so many testimonies like we heard throughout this whole city and this building and the upper deck would be filled with people who have been revived and brought back to life in Jesus' name. If you've never asked Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior, he could come in right now and do that. It's, it's not a class. It's not a, you don't have to be here six months. And then, no, today is the day of salvation right now. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Lord, so just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you that you forgive me of all of my sin. I repent. I repent and I make you the Lord of my life today. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for raising to life and, and, and making me a new person today. I want to serve you all the days of my life. Andrew said it best. He said, I tried to control and I tried to do it on my own, but I I couldn't. I needed to surrender to Jesus. So, Lord, we surrender to you in every way. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To find out more, visit thecollectivechurch.com.